Amen. All right. Well, hey, get this. How many of you guys like romance stories? Raise your hand. Yeah, all none of you. At least guys, anyway. I figured a couple of ladies would raise your hand. Okay, but not just romance stories, but how many of you guys like those uh, romance stories with surprise endings, huh? I'll tell you what, I, I, and I gotta you know, confess, you know, that this is probably one of the most romantic stories that I've heard in a long, long time. You guys ready for this one? Check this out. There was a story about a young man in Bible college. He was not Pastor Bobby, by the way. Don't want to get that out of the air right now. All right. And he was studying to be a pastor. Right. And while he was there, he obviously naturally proposed to his girlfriend. That actually in true life is how my wife and I met in Bible college and we got married. Right. So this is what he's going through this. He, he goes to Bible college and he proposes to his girlfriend, but she actually said no. So we asked her why, and she said, listen, that she would never, ever, ever, ever marry a preacher. So, turns out 25 years later, kid you not, this man, he's now ordained, he's a pastor of a church, and he just happened to bump up to this woman into her at a church revival service, at the church she was pastoring at. And, and you know where I'm going for this, this is 25 years later, right? Watch this. So, so they began conversing, they began to catch up, and they discovered that, listen, neither one of them had ever gotten married in 25 years. Right? Yeah, it's, it's romantic. And so the man said, well, uh, 25 years ago, I proposed to you and you said no because you didn't want to marry a preacher. Well, what if would you say if I were to ask you the same question today? And she immediately responded, yes. And so obviously he's excited. He goes, wow, what changed? And she said, well, I just listened to you speak for 45 minutes at this revival service and believe you me, you ain't no preacher. <laughs> at that. You laughed at that. We're supposed to be Christians and just, uh, that ain't good, right? Oh, and now you know why I said that wasn't Pastor Bobby, right? That's, but anyway, that's right. Uh, but, but that had a surprise ending. You didn't expect that, did you, right? Okay, romance story, okay. Well, believe it or not, folks, uh, there is a surprise ending that's coming. That's not a story. It's not to a person. It's not in a church. It's around the whole planet. And it's nothing romantic at all. It's a surprise ending for those who today reject Jesus Christ, their Lord and Savior. And guess what? You wait too long, you're going to be left behind at the rapture of the church. And surprise, it's the beginning of the end for you. Because now you're going to be thrust into the seven-year tribulation. That's not a joke. Jesus said that time frame is going to be a time of greater horror than anything this world has ever seen or will ever see again. And then unless God kept that time frame to just the seven years, basically, the entire human race would be destroyed. You don't want to be there. And praise God, there's a way out. Amen. Okay, and, and as we've been seeing, praise God, he's not just the God of wrath. And is that a bad thing? No, what's that mean? That means God's gonna have the last word on all this evil and suffering and blowing that we see every single day in the news. Amen, that's a good thing. But he's also got a love as well. And he doesn't want people to be in the seven-year tribulation. He certainly doesn't want people to end up at hell. He's very patient. He's not willing that any should perish, the scripture says. He wants people to be saved before it's too late. And so he, he doesn't tell us the exact hour, but he tells us when it's getting close. So number one, if we're a bride of Christ, a Christian, we finish faithful. Amen? Okay, but if you're not saved, it's, he's giving you a chance while you still have breath, while there's still time before the rapture to get saved before it's too late. And that's why we're going to continue our study, the final countdown, tribulation rising, signs that the seven-year tribulation is getting close, okay? Now, as you can see, we've already seen the first sign that we dealt with for 20 weeks. Who's counting? I am. 
uh, was the Jewish people and the Antichrist, right? Huge mega sign, Middle East, all that kind of stuff. We saw the second sign for 16 studies was modern technology, okay? And then the last, uh, uh, I don't know how many times, 13 times, uh, is the AI invasion, continuing on with modern technology, but specifically with this event that the book of Daniel said would happen on the planet 2,600 years ago, he warned about this, when you're living in the end of times, okay? And, and believe it or not, the secularists agree. This information explosion that Daniel talked about is not only coming, it's already here, it's already happening, and then even the secularists are saying it's leading to an event called singularity, their words, not mine. That's when AI, artificial intelligence, robots, machines, take over the planet and destroy humanity. Yay! Now, they don't call it end of times, but God does. They just call it by a different name, singularity, but it's the same thing. And even the secularists are saying, man, that's not coming, man. It's already here and time is running out. So we've been taking a look at an overview. How did this happen? How do we get in this shape? Why is it happening so fast? Well, there's a race for AI. Basically, every country corporation on the planet is trying to build the biggest, baddest AI to take over everybody else's AI and rule the world. We saw that. Then we saw the definition of AI, the types of AI, the history of AI, the big data, the makers of AI. And then the last 10 times was the future of AI. And just like God warned about, end of times, that's exactly what it's leading to. AI right now is called the new electricity. It's invading virtually every sector around the whole planet, taking over on a global basis, and it's not good. We've already seen that he's taken over businesses, finances, and then the last six times was convenience. That's how we're being snookered into going along with this AI takeover, micromanaging the planet, okay? And, and, and it's not leading to a utopian uh, dream come true society like they want us to say. It's laying the groundwork for the Antichrist system that you don't want to be a part of in the seven-year tribulation. They're doing that with smart homes, smart cities, smart abilities, smart shopping, smart serving, smart entertainment, smart media and last time smart gaming and again what when you see the word smart before something what's it mean big brother ai takeover that's exactly what it means okay and we saw even with their gaming ai is taking over sports video games and what it's doing is conditioning people shocker to not only get a microchip in them in their body specifically their hand but even their forehead so you can have a much more immersive experience no it's all conditioning to get people in another way to receive the mark of the beast system in the seven-year tribulation. But Pastor Bobby, I'm still preaching on it, so guess what? There's got to be more. There's got to be more, and there is. <laughs> and uh, it's a whole new category. I'm excited, man. We've been doing convenience for a while, but watch this. this remember, eat cow while you got it. You know why? Because AI is taking over the agriculture on the planet. Now, it sounds nuts, but I'm telling you, this is happening, and it's been happening for years, on a scale, and basically what they're doing is they are removing the human equation for our food supply, not just here in America, but around the whole planet. And I believe that has everything to do with an event that's gonna happen in the first half of the seven-year tribulation, okay? But as always, don't take my word for it. Let's listen to God. So open your Bibles to Revelation chapter six. Revelation chapter 6, we're going to read verses 1 through 8. We're dealing with the beginning of the seven-year tribulation. Starts off with the white horse rider, the Antichrist. Parallel passage with Daniel 9.27. How does the seven-year tribulation start? Well, the church is gone, and sometime after that, you're going to see that the Antichrist is going to make a covenant with the people of Israel. Does anybody want to make a treaty with Israel? It's <laughs> going on right now. That's how close we are, right? And then he's going to ride in on this false utopia, but right after that, bang, here comes war, here comes famine, here comes, pl here comes the wrath of God. 
okay? But uh, what we're going to see here is uh, some events that are going to take place to the planet that, believe it or not, I think AI has got its hands into with our food supply. But let's take, let's take a look as we stand and read God's holy word. Number one, here's what it says, Revelation 6, I watched as the lamb. Now, who's the lamb? Jesus. Now, I don't have time to get into this, but I guess I will. Uh, do you know that there's so many people out there that want to say that the first half of the seven-year tribulation is not the wrath of God? Because they do that because they want the church to be in there. The church is nowhere in the seven-year tribulation because it's all the wrath of God. Now, here we are at the very beginning of the seven-year tribulation, and who is this coming from? This is, coming, this is coming from God. The lamb is the one responsible for this wrath that's being poured out. They would actually say that, no, no, that the, the troubles in the first half is man's wrath or Satan's wrath. Excuse me? Lamb means lamb, okay? And he says it over, and, and this is just the first half. But anyway, I digress. I watched as the lamb open the first of the seven seals, and then I heard one of the four living creatures uh, say in a voice like thunder, come. And I looked, and there before me was a white horse. Its rider held a bow, and he was given a crown, and he rode out as a conqueror bent on conquest, the rise of the Antichrist. Number two, the lamb, he opens up the second seal. Again, Jesus responsible for this. I heard the second living creature say, come. And then another horse came out, a fiery red one. Its rider was given power to take peace from the earth and to make men slay each other. To him was given a large sword. Now, number three, also, who opened this one? The lamb, okay, opened up the third seal, and I heard the third living creature say, Come. And I looked, and there before me was a black horse, and its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hands. And then I heard a sound like a voice among the four living creatures say, What? A quart of wheat for a day's wages, and three quarts of barley for a day's wages, and do not damage the oil and the wine. Wow. So what's going on with the food supply? Why is there having to dish it out and dole it out? Well, keep reading. When the lamb opened the fourth seal, I heard the fourth living creature say, what? Come. And I looked, and there before me was a pale horse. Its rider's name was Death and Hades, was following close behind him, and they were given power over how much? A fourth of the earth to kill by what? Sword, famine, and plague, and by the wild beasts of the earth. You may be seated as if you can. But what we're seeing again in this classic text is what? What's one-fourth of the earth? If this were to happen today, about how many people is that? For those of you hooked on math, that's about 2 billion, not million, 2 billion people are going to be annihilated just in the first half of the first half of the seven-year tribulation. It's, it's, it's incredible, okay? And he mentions the different ways that that's going to take place there uh, as an act of God's judgment, okay? Because obviously what follows war is what? Famine, pestilence, and things of that nature. And dare I say, even in war, uh, with the restraining influence of the church being gone, I think in this particular war, they're going to pull out every piece of technology, every kind of wicked piece of weaponry, including biological weapons, because there's no restraint now, man. And they're going to use them, and it's just going to be a horrible, horrible time frame. Two billion people are going to die. And then it's going to get so bad that apparently, in order to try to move on from that event, and they do, okay, they have to micromanage the what? Food supply on the planet. It's very clear in this text here. And again, this is still in the first half of the seven-year tribulation. There's going to be a global food distribution where it actually said you're now going to have to work for your food because they're in famine conditions because of this global war. Two billion people were annihilated, so whoever's left, you're going to have to work. You want to eat, you're going to have to work. And then he said specifically you could work one whole day and get some wheat for yourself. Or you could work a whole day and you get three quarts of barley. Basically, barley, almost like a a less nutritional meal. It's almost like animal food. Okay, you could basically get a a normal food for yourself if you work for one day. But what if you got a family? Well, here's your option. You and two other people, you can earn four to eat, basically eating animal food. Not good conditions. But here's my point. In order for this passage to pull off, 
Because this is the global context. They're globally dishing out. They're connecting with people. You have to work. And we, around the globe, will dish out the food. So what does that presuppose? At this time in the seven-year tribulation, somebody's going to have charge of the total food supply on the planet, right? Now, do we see any signs of that? Yes, we do, as we dealt with in our other studies. Uh, and I even got to the AI aspect, okay? Listen to this. Right now, our food supply is in the control of just three entities. See, we think we got all these uh, uh, grocery stores and food chains people. No, they're all owned. They're just different branches, but they're owned by three big guns. It's kind of like the media that we have today. We think, oh, there's all kinds of these different channels. There's Fox and there's this CBS and there's uh, Comcast and there's... No, they've got it narrowed down to, I think it's about five entities nowadays, own all the media, right? So that's really what's going on. So the same thing with the food supply. And that, those three entities are Cargill Monsanto, the second one's ConAgra, and the third one is Novartis ADM or Archer Daniels Midland, right? Now, these guys freely admit that if you want to control the world, forget fuel and gas. <laughs> you got to control the food, right? Because human beings run on food. And this is a direct quote from Dwayne Andreas. He's a former chairman of ADM. He said, quote, the food business is far away the most important business in the world. Everything else is a luxury. Food is what you need to sustain everyday life. Food is fuel. Watch this. He says, you can't run a tractor without fuel and you can't run a human being without it either. Food is the absolute beginning of what? And I quote, those who control the global food system have the ultimate in economic power. In other words, what do he say? Those who can uh, control the food supply control the world because you can sit there and hold out oh yeah you're never going to get me i'm not going to do what you tell me to do you go one week without food you go three days without food most grocery stores today say they only got a 72 hour supply what did we just learn with covid it ain't even gonna last 72 hours people go nuts remember that guy with that giant uh, shopping cart that made the big <laughs> remember that right but this is going to happen in the seven-year tribulation, okay? And this is exactly what the Bible says is going to happen. In order to distribute the food on a global basis in the seven-year tribulation, just even in the first half, okay, uh, somehow somebody's going to grab control of the food supply and have the power to dole it out. Well, we're already there. Okay, number one. Number two, guess how these same entities and global elitists, guess what they're looking to, to literally pull off and micromanage the back-end system of controlling the food supply? It rhymes with AI. Anybody? Yeah, it's AI, right? You can control it, but how are you going to micromanage it? That's too big for one person, but AI can do it. And AI can only do it, but I'm telling you folks, it's happening in a massive scale. It's just sneaking up onto us and we're getting used to it. Now, shocker, guess what they're tr calling this new AI takeover of agriculture? Smart agriculture. Anybody seen a pattern? I kid you not. They also call it the fourth revolution in farming. But either way, AI is now literally going to be taking over and micromanaging on an individual level the food supply of the planet, which is exactly what Revelation 6 says has to happen. And my point is this, that's in the seven-year tribulation. We leave prior. We don't know the day nor the hour, but man, come on. How many things are coming into play right now on minute details in, in the seven-year tribulation, okay? In fact, here's what they say this AI will do with this smart agriculture. Watch this. AI and robotics will augment, listen, it's every aspect, production, processing, packaging of food products in time cycles that limits human intervention. In other words, guess what? We don't need humans to produce the food supply. 
They don't just control it. We don't need you to do nothing with it. AI will take care of it for you. And what they're saying is, listen, they're putting all their eggs in that basket. Watch, AI in agricultural market was valued at 600 million in 2018, but it's expected to jump to 2.6 billion by 2025. And they say, we are, this is their quote, not mine, because AI will now take over the whole food supply for your benefit, supposedly. Quote, we will be able to feed the world or control the world by controlling the food supply. Like Revelation 6 says is gonna happen. Isn't this wild? Now let me break it down to you. How are they gonna do that? Well, I'm telling you folks very quickly, they're removing the human element for every aspect of farming. Okay, and the first way they're doing that is they got AI tractors. Because you, th- you, you might be thinking, you gotta dispel this myth. The technology is advanced. You might think, well, we still need farmers because they're out there on the tractor, right? They're gonna plow the field and all. God, AI can do anything, man, including tractors. And watch this. I'm just going to give you a quick example of some of the biggest tractor uh, uh, suppliers in the world. You don't need a person. They all do it automated with AI satellite technology. It's all automated. Just like the cars on the ground, they're doing it with tractors in the field. Watch this. I guess the sales of overalls are going down the tubes. Ain't going to be no farmers buying them out and there on the tractor, Ron. Isn't this crazy? You don't need a human. We're used to the, oh, they're making driverless cars. We haven't been paying attention. They're doing the same thing in the food supply. It can all be run automated from a satellite. You don't need a human to do that aspect of farming. But there's another. If you, I grew up in Kansas. There's, we could talk about farming all day long, right? <laughs> you know, but we ain't going to. But uh, uh, this, by the way, that's John Deere. That's one of the biggest manufacturers of tractors on the planet. Okay, this is not some fly-by-night trend, some young startup company. This is the big thing, okay? And, uh, and they admit AI and agriculture will usher in a more efficient, easier manner of growing crops throughout the agricultural chain around the world. It's all going to be automated. But there's another thing that they're doing, and that's AI drones, right? Now, if you know anything about farming, um, you don't just need to have, you don't got just needs on the ground, you got needs in the air, right? Uh, If you grew up where I did in Kansas, your biggest uh, traffic concern uh, was nothing like here in Vegas. It was getting behind that farmer driving 30 miles an hour on the road because he was what? He's looking at his crops, because he's got nothing else to do? No, they need to pay attention to the crops on the ground so that they know, is, is there getting enough water? Is this patch over here starting to die off? Is, oh no, is, uh, did uh, animals get in there? Or, or is there disease and what do I got to do? That, that's what they're doing. 
At least that's what I was told. But anyway, no. Uh, and, uh, but, but so how do you get around it? You can't see your whole crowd. Well, they, would, they have to. In the past, they would pay, still to this day, they would pay somebody to fly over their crops. Well, guess what? You don't need to pay that anymore. You just get an AI drone and you're going to save so much money. AI will monitor your crops, not just plant them, but it'll monitor them. Watch this. Today, we're listing the top five reasons you should be using a drone on your farm in 2019. Here we go. Number five, water and fertilizer efficiency. Drones like the Mavic 2 Enterprise Dual or the Matrice 200 with an XT sensor, they have thermal capabilities. Now what that means is that these thermal sensors can detect which portions of your field are over or underwatered, allowing you to water only the areas that need to be watered, which lessens the amount of fertilizer runoff and waste as well. And let's not forget drones like the DJI Agress series, which allows you to spot, spray fertilizer, water, and even spread seed. We have that one right here at Aerial Influence, as well as all of the DJI Enterprise products. So make sure you contact us. We're happy to answer any of your questions about those drones. Let's get on to number four, and that is saving you time. Gone are the days of solely counting your field on foot or on a tractor or via airplane. Drones can quickly and easily get a quick snapshot of your crops, even in hard to reach areas. As most of our drones have the ability to fly up to four miles away from the remote control, as long as it's still within line of sight. So imagine scouting your back 10 from your front porch. That sounds pretty good, right? All right, number three, increase your yields. So if you can scout your field more frequently because you have a drone, you'll be able to find potential problems before they get out of hand. That's going to save your crops and increase your yields. Simple as that. Number two, mapping. Today's drones are so advanced that you can draw a map right on the screen on the remote control that you're using to fly the device and have the drone fly that precise path. If you need really precise maps or flight paths, you should step up to something that uses RTK, like the Agras series, the Phantom 4 RTK, and the Matrice 210 RTK. With those drones, you can get centimeter accuracy. It's like GPS on steroids, but it comes at a price. Speaking of price, let's get to the number one reason that you should be using a drone on your farm in 2019, and that is to save you money. That's right, the purpose of all of this is to help you save your hard-earned cash. Here's an example. On average, it costs around $2 per acre for a visual inspection or aerial survey. By using a drone, the return on investment could be realized within a single season. That's right, you could pay for your drone in one season by taking advantage of the technology that drones are bringing to the agricultural world. Not coming but already here. Did you see what the average price was? Did you pay attention to that? If you had to hire a guy to fly over in a plane, two bucks per acre, that's a lot of cash, man. But not anymore, AI can do it for you, right? You can just buy one, you can be in control and all that stuff. And, and folks, again, uh, these AI systems are controlled by satellites. Satellites orbit the Earth and so all this can be controlled, not just on the ground, the farming, the planting by AI, but all the monitoring of all the food supply on earth. And it's not coming, it's already being implemented. And again, what's the premise with a lot of this stuff? It's always this way, typically. This is why your company needs this. This is why you need it out of convenience. It's, it's a time-saving thing. This is why we need to switch. You're gonna save so much money, it's gonna be great. Well, it's a step-by-step -step process taking over, but not only that. There's another aspect of our food supply. It's not just the plants, it's the what? Yeah, like I said, eat cow while you got it. Pay attention to this one. It's the livestock. This is crazy. AI is now taking over the production of livestock because when it comes to food supply, we don't just eat corn. 
We don't just eat watermelon. We don't just eat plants. What do we also eat? Chicken. <laughs> you know what? We've been preaching about spiritual warfare uh, in our services. We need to start praying. But uh, yeah, we eat cow. We eat cow. I'm sure that's what was said. Cow. That sounded like it to me. We eat meat, right? Meat potatoes. It ain't just potatoes. It's meat potatoes, right? That's another big part of our food supply. And not just us, but around the world. That's just a way of life, okay? But even here, folks, AI is taking over. And shocker of shockers, how are they going to micromanage every single piece, if you will, of livestock, every animal in the food supply chain? Well, shocker, guess what they're using? Microchip technology. And they will be able, combined with AI, they will literally be able to track every movement, every health aspect, every behavior, every pattern of behavior, including even when it's the best time to bring them in for mating. Because it's not just combined with microchips on the livestock. AI will tell the farmers, bring them in. This is the optimum time. It's crazy, but watch this. A few years ago, I was staring outside my window, watching the neighbor's cow graze the land. I joked about strapping a sensor on a dairy cow and learning what it does all day. It turned out productivity is a real issue for farmers. There are 1.5 billion cows on the planet and the milk they produce is a major staple of many diets. It is a fact. By 2050, there will be over 9 billion people on the planet and food production needs to increase by 60% to sustain that. So how are we going to feed everyone? I got working with an old friend of mine on a device that became the Fitbit for cows. Using complex mathematics that is the basis of artificial intelligence, we're teaching our algorithms the behavior of cows. For example, we can detect problems of eating and feeding disorders. We can know when is the best time to get a cow pregnant. But farmers don't want data. They don't want to become analysts. They want to know what has gone wrong, why it happened, and what they should do about it. I believe in a future world where sensors and artificial intelligence will be ubiquitous. What's he mean by that? It will go global. It's everywhere. It will permeate all aspects of what? Not just plants, but livestock. AI will control. Now, you notice that the one thing that there were, he was currently using, what he called the, the cow Fitbit, right? But what's inside that device that he put around the cow's neck? That microchip technology, right? But again, they're already looking at switching from that collar, that harness thing, to just, just chip them, right? And they've been doing chipping for years in livestock. I mean, years right, for tagging them for purposes, you know, in the ear and stuff of that nature. So that's nothing new. So that's an easy conversion of that. But they said it's a game-changing technology that will allow farmers to know the health of each cow and quality of milk in real time, which means it's tracked, monitored, processed, categorized, cataloged, everything in real time, its whole life cycle, okay? And who's going to control it? AI. Now, you know what they're calling this system? This is their words, not mine. The Internet of Cows or the connected cow, 
or, and you know, so, so they're, they're connected and it stores all this data on the livestock, in this case, the cow, okay? But, uh, and it's all being run by AI. It's all being stored, but you know what they're stored in? The cow cloud. <laughs> Whatever, but basically, what is it? Now you got AI, not just the manual planting on the ground in seed crops and tree crops. We'll see that in a little bit. Okay, but then it's also monitoring on a global basis the crops, but now it's taking control of the livestock, the other half of our food equation. Okay, but it goes even more. Now you're thinking, well, they're still going to need some farmers on the ground, you know, because only they got the wisdom to know what to do, when to plant, when to bring. Not anymore. Farmers today are basically, you don't need to even have to go to school anymore. AI will tell you exactly what to do. Real quick, they got AI apps out there that's not coming. Farmers are already getting used to having AI tell them exactly when to plant, how to plant, all that stuff. The, the human element, I'm telling you, is being removed on a massive scale. Let me give you just two quick examples. This is the AI sewing app that draws on, quote, more than 30 years of climate data combined with real-time weather information, sophisticated weather forecasts powered by Azure AI that's made by Microsoft, uh, in case you're wondering why and how, to determine the optimal time to plant, the ideal sowing depth, how much fertilizer to apply, and much, much more. Just farmers, don't, don't go to granddad who used to farm and get his wisdom. Don't go to even school for it. Let AI tell you exactly in real time every aspect of the farming. That's just one. The other one uh, is AI's ability to, quote, share vital growing information for farmers via text messages. So now I'm not even waiting for you to ask. It will give you updates and reports. This is when you need to hurry, chop, chop. In case you missed it, uh, you need to do this right now. It's crazy. And listen to what they say. With this level of precise AI knowledge, Quote, farmers around the world will be able to pinpoint decisions about when to plant, when to water, when to harvest that will save in labor, reducing overall costs and improving the output. Why? Because believe it or not, they're using this in third world countries to catch them up to the technology so they can be a part of, quote, their goal, feeding the world with AI, managing the whole system. Revelation 6. But let me give you another one. You think, well, okay, no, okay, maybe they can get rid of the farmers. They don't need farmers anymore. But you still need those manual workers, right, to, to harvest. Not anymore. Now AI is automating the work process on a scale you can't even believe. And you know, one of the things that's pushing it, we'll get into it in a second, not only a shortage of farmers, okay, and future farmers and people even wanting to work on the farm, okay, but workers, What's a big uh, crisis that we're dealing with in our country? Immigration crisis. Now, part of that push for the immigration crisis is what? Farmers kind of bend the rules a bit because they want these migrant workers. Well, can't we just fix that whole immigrant crisis if we let AI and robots do the harvesting? That's what's pushing a lot of this technology, right? And, and part of it is also is because it's, I mean, think about this. Even with migrant workers, you still got to pay them, right? Obviously, they could get sick, but watch this. AI robots work nonstop, 24 hours a day on the farm. They don't need breaks. They don't need to be offered health care, uh, stock options, 401k plans. They don't whine. They don't complain. They don't get sick, and they do what they're told every single time, right? And so, I mean, wouldn't that be a convenient way to fix the immigration crisis? You didn't even have to finish the wall because AI will now do all that for you. Farmers will no longer be tempted to break the rules, but there's another reason why uh, they're doing it is because again, you literally don't need humans to harvest just about any crop you can think of. Watch this. Here's just a couple 
of examples of how they're switching out the human element. Watch this. Yeah, where will they go next? Again, they can work nonstop, continual. They don't whine. They don't complain. And they're saying, man, they could, they could pick a lot better. Oh, and another push that they're doing is they're saying, especially now with this COVID stuff going on, uh, it's a much more sanitized environment. Right, because those human workers, you know, and they're picking that strawberry. You know what happens. But not with AI, right? Not with a robot. Last time I checked, they don't pick their nose, so, you know, it's pretty safe. So, so that's another reason why they're just trying to get us to make this switch over there, okay? Now, another one uh, is they say it's also going to help not just with the uh, replacing workers, but a lot of people don't, and the immigration crisis is supposed to be more hygienic and all that stuff. But they're saying, most people don't realize, there's a mega shortage of workers. And not just a shortage of workers, there's a shortage of farmers, okay? Uh, and, and think about that, really. Uh, how many times have you heard, uh, let's just start with the millennial generation and then on down. How many times have you heard them say, I can't wait to graduate high school and become a farmer. <laughs> you keep that up long enough and what are you not going to have left? You're not going to have human farmers. And so they're saying that's why we need AI to take over because we're heading to that eclipse point. Watch this. Agriculture in the United States is a more than $360 billion annual business. But it's in trouble. American farmers are getting older. Their average age is just over 58. And farming in general faces a major labor shortage. 
Errol Barnett met with some growers to see how they are trying to find a solution with the help of technology from Silicon Valley. Good morning. Look, we know that farming is tough work. You've got to get up before dawn and to take care of cows like these, you have to bring them through this milking machine twice a day. Now, generally speaking, though, this is just not the type of work people want to do anymore. It is becoming more difficult to find all sorts of agricultural labor. Now, farmers I met with recently told me that the key to fix that is artificial intelligence. For just about a hundred years, Wow. Gary Rishnotsky's family has been running the Wish Fruit Farm business. I think my grandfather, if he was alive, would be just totally mesmerized by what the future has turned into. In order to keep his crop healthy, he needs 600 people to harvest 600 acres every two to three days. But finding that amount of labor is becoming unsustainable. We've seen a shrinking labor force and an aging labor force. We actually had fields we were abandoning early in the season, which is a really painful thing for a grower to do. In an effort to avoid losing $20,000 per acre on abandoned fields, Gary partnered with a team of engineers who are working to fully automate the process. We've separated all of the things that a picker is doing into various pieces of the robot. Paul Bissett is the chief operating officer of the company behind it all. We're collecting 50 to 100 images a plant, and all of those images are fed into our AI system in order to tell us, okay, this is a good berry, this is one we want to go after. So you're telling me in real time, this machine is looking at the plant, thinking what to do next based on the imaging, and then executing that action. Exactly. So is this as fast as a human right now? This machine, commercialized, will replace the 30 people that you saw in the field earlier today with Gary. This is a global problem, the lack of farm labor. What kind of a problem? Global problem, not just the United States. And so what's the global solution? It's got to be automated with AI controlling the whole system, okay? And, and you might be thinking, well, okay, that's intriguing. I see we're heading over the cliff. We're running out of human workers, not just replacing them, but there's going to be a need. To, you got to make it up somehow. You got to keep the food supply going. And this is a global problem, but, uh, but come on, we still got to be years and years away from literally farm to fork AI taking the whole thing over. No. There's already farms and scenarios where the whole process of generating food is already completely missing the human element. Here's just two quick examples. Watch this. Now, when it comes to farming smart, not many do it better than Jonathan Gill. We were the world's first to actually grow an entire crop without ever going into the field. Gill, the event's keynote speaker, is showcasing his cutting-edge research on automated farming. Work an entire area of land, a hectare, completely without having anybody in the driving seats or any agronomists in the ground. They call it the hands-free hectare. Gill and his team in the United Kingdom automating small farm machinery and drone systems to grow and harvest a crop of spring barley. Now the whole idea of unmanned vehicles making their way through a field causing at least one farmer some concern. It's kind of scary too, right? Like, you know, you, you get, you get thinking of Terminator, you know, not, not necessarily that, but, you know, you, okay, now all of a sudden it's running itself. If we're going to need to double the food production in the next 30 years to feed the growing population, we felt there needs to be a radical change.
So it's not just that the robots can move plants around very efficiently, it's also that they can, uh, they can help you avoid ever having a plant go bad. We're able to do the equivalent of 30 acres of outdoor farming in just a single acre of our robotic farm. So one of the great things about the robots is that they don't really get tired uh, and they don't really care what hours they work. And so as long as they've got juice in the batteries, they can keep going. And going, and going, and going, Jonathan, that's right, like the Energizer Bunny. Except it's an AI robot that's already, not coming, already here, growing the whole food cycle. From planting to harvest, micromanaging the whole system. And even in that first example, did you catch what they were doing? He's like, well, farmers are going to have to spend so much money to buy these new AI machines that's all audit. Took existing equipment and simply popped an AI system on it, and it automated it that way. So it's, it's not coming. It's already here, okay? And you might be thinking, well, that's it. That's, that's my solution then, right? Because what are we talking about here? We're talking about literally AI, global elitists, literally micromanaging, controlling the food supply on the whole planet as Revelation 6 presupposes. And you might think, well, that's fine. I'll, I'll, I'll just become self-sufficient. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to grow my own food, and then I'm going to unplug myself from this system that AI is controlling, and, they, and then they won't have power over me. Really? You really think that these global elitists haven't thought of that scenario and they don't have a backup plan to fix those with that mentality because I'm sure there are those with that mentality, okay? And, and what they do to get us to go along with, no, we need to bend the knee and bow to these elitists to let them control our food supply and they're using a tactic to get us to surrender our freedoms that they use in all kinds of areas that we've seen before. It's called fear, because they know that human nature is people are more apt to surrender their freedoms in a time in a constant state of fear ah! than when things are at peace, right? And they're doing the same thing, and they've been doing it, folks, for years. They've been paying attention to freak us out about our food supply with all of these crises going on. And we need the government to fix it and dole us out. They're getting us used to that. Okay, now let me just give you a couple uh, of examples of the fear factor, and it's been going on for years. We don't just have a food crisis, if you listen to the media. We've got a global food crisis. Haven't you guys been paying attention to what's been going on for the last many years? We've got salmonella outbreaks in our vegetables. <laughs> Kids are now allergic to peanut butter. What will we do? Peanut butter. Yes, Mary, even peanut butter. It's a crisis on our hands. What are we gonna, there's the E. coli thing. Now people got gluten-related issues. Lactose intolerance, hoof and mouth disease. Help, government, save us from this food fear. Who will control it and dish it out for us? Do you see what they're doing? Back in my day, man, my diet consisted at least a good handful of dirt every other day. I mean, we didn't have people everywhere we went with, say, whatever. I'll probably get some emails over that one. Okay. But, what? But see, the condition, oh no, no, the food, there's, there's a tomato they found in Kentucky that had a catfish head on it. I don't know, what, uh, and so the rest of us, oh, and every, every week it's something, right? And what they do is they use that to say, okay, it's a manufactured cry. They get us to cry out what they wanted us to cry out in the first place. Government fix it. Now what's that trend? Take the individual responsibility, including growing my food and feeding myself, 
out of the equation and put it in the hands of somebody else outside of you. That's the trend. Now, this has been going on for a while. Let me just give you a couple quick examples. Back with the uh, Obama administration. Turn to somebody and say, shocker. Okay. Uh, Quote, back in his day, he says, quote, we are not just designing laws that will keep American people safe, but, quote, enforcing them. Remember when Michelle was big on, we got a healthy kids diet, healthy food this, food that. She was even involved in the process that, you know, the government will tell you what to eat. Now, let me give you a couple things you're not aware of. In his administration, they passed what was called the Food Safety Modernization Act. Well, that sounds great. Well, let me tell you what this thing does. The creation of the Food Safety Administration will allow the government to regulate food production, quote, at all levels, even mandate property seizures and fines up to a million dollars per offense and criminal prosecution for those who fail to comply to the regulations. They backed it up in his administration with this next one called the Food Safety Tracking Improvement Act. And guess who backs it? The three big guns, Monsanto, Archil, Daniels, Minlin, and things of nature. And, and what's this one do, gonna do for us, for our safety, supposedly? To ensure that the federal government has the ability to, and authority to protect the public and create, listen, a national database of our food supply and electronic records to identify, quote, where the food was grown, prepared, handled, manufactured, processed, distributed, shipped, warehouse, imported, to, of course, ensure the safety of our food. Because if I see another kid swell up from peanuts, I don't know what I will do. Now listen, if you got a peanut kid, whatever, I'm not making fun of them, so don't send me... I'm allergic to shellfish. I get it. It's a real concern. Even though my wife jokes when we have an intense moment of fellowship <laughs> that maybe she should make shrimp for supper <laughs> and I will feel swell and end up in the hospital. Okay, I, I get that. So I'm just, come on, just lighten up. I'm not making fun of your kid with peanut allergies. Okay, but what's going on here? Even back in the Obama administration, there were what? Getting us used to somebody outside of us dictating our total food supply. Now, they meant in force because what's already happened, this you may not see in the uh, mainline news, but they've had SWAT teams confiscate food. People who want to be independent, food co-ops and things of that nature, where they were, and this is a direct quote, herded families onto couches, keeping guns trained. This is the United States of America keeping guns trained on the parents, children, infants, and toddlers for hours on end without the ability to make a phone call, not told what crime they were being charged with, nor read their rights, as well as tens of thousands of dollars of food being taken, including their personal stockpile of food for that coming year, along with their cell phones, computers, and all their contact records. You know, all your other buddies who are trying to store up food too. So we've already been conditioned to allow an outside entity to dictate our food. But see, there's another thing we need to survive, and that's called water. And believe it or not, that's a huge need in the seven-year tribulation as well. That's what this text says, Revelation 8, 6, and 8 through 11. Then the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to sound them. The second angel sounded his trumpet, and something like a huge mountain, all ablaze, was thrown into a sea. Obviously a big, giant asteroid. A third of the sea turned to blood. A third of the living creatures in the sea died. A third of the ships were destroyed. And then a third angel sounded his trumpet, and a great star, blazing like a torch, fell from the sky. And on the third, the what? The rivers and the springs of water. What's that? That's, that's what we drink. We don't drink seawater, but now the fresh water, one whole third around the whole planet, is going to what? Uh, it's, the star's name was Wordwood, and here's the result. A third of the water's what? Turned bitter. And what happened? Many people died from the waters that had become bitter. 
So not just food, Revelation 6 is gonna become a huge need after these famines, but there's gonna be a huge need for fresh water on the planet. So what better way to get people to do what you want them to do, Mr. Antichrist, than not just control the food supply, but you control the water supply. But we don't see any signs of that, do we? Yes, we do. And again, you gotta pay attention, folks. This has been going on for a long time, okay? And again, what are they doing? Fear. Folks, we don't just have a water problem. We got a water crisis. It's all over the world. In case you don't know, there's chemicals being dumped in our streams. There's poisons leaching into our water table. Those dreaded toxins are being released in municipal water plants. What will we do? I know, government save us, control even our water supply. Now, if you don't think that's happening, it's already happening. In fact, pay attention, folks. Right now in the United States of America, it is illegal to collect rainwater in many states. Can you believe that? I will go to jail if I collect rainwater? What? Actual laws in the United States of America. And of course, it's going global. This has been out for years, right? The UN has what's called the Blue Planet Project. It's called, quote, the mother of all power grabs. And basically, they want to control all the water supply on the whole planet. So it's going global. So what we're seeing is, again, not just AI taking over everything on the whole food supply, but we're already and have been conditioned for years to let an outside entity what? Dole out the food, tell us what to do under the guise of fear, which will set you up for the mindset needed of Revelation 6, right? I got to go work now because the government tells me I got to go work to get my wheat and barley. We're already there. We're being conditioned for it just in time for the seven-year tribulation. Now, let me give you one more, and we'll close, uh, uh, of how they're putting it all together. So that's kind of food supply, food fears, oh, government control it for me. Water supply, water fears, oh, government control it, right? Bring it both together. Now, how are you gonna tell people literally what to eat and drink? Well, you come up with another crisis, right? And here's the one that's been out there for a long time. It's the obesity crisis. Oh, no, what will we do? I just, so, I, I can't control that fork. Help me, government, government, take over the whole food supply. Keep us from all becoming overweight. Oh no, we're gonna die. I'd rather pay somebody to slap the fork out of my hand than have the government dictate if I'm overweight. And I don't, I don't have time to get into this, but have you seen their BMI index, their mass index, right? I'm, I'm not against working out. If you wanna work out, fine, whatever you wanna eat healthy, I'm not against all that stuff. I've said it till I'm blue in the face. You know, everybody says, you gotta get in shape, gotta get in shape, gotta get in shape. Gotta... Last time I checked, round is a shape, mission accomplished, right? But come on, man. <laughs> um, my grandma in Kansas farming, they lived on Greece and my family lived through the 90s. I think a lot of it is more just inactivity, right? Is, is a big issue, not so much the food thing. And then all the food things, how many times they get it wrong? <gasps> Don't eat oatmeal, it's gonna kill you. No, oatmeal's good for your heart. Your cholesterol is all bad. No, there's some good cholesterol, we got that wrong. Don't eat eggs, eggs will kill you. Well, eggs might kill you, I'll give you that one. But anyway, that's right. Uh, but no, <laughs> and they keep getting it wrong. But it's just, it's, oh no, if you see it, you're gonna die, you can't, you know, look at the people. We, we have to tell them what to eat and drink in the obesity crisis. Now, it's, we're getting conditioned to this. I'll give you a couple quick examples. They're in schools in the United States of America right now. They're issuing what's called fat report cards to kids. Check it out. That's why I put the article up there, folks. Fat report cards to kids. The government will tell you exactly. They won't just control the food supply. They're going to punish you if you don't do and eat and drink what they say you should eat and drink. Right? Another one is they've launched food police. 
this is back in the Obama administration years, that are secretly photographing children's lunches to analyze contents whereupon the, they will contact the parents to tell them to improve their nutrition. So not just control the food for the kids that eat at the school, but if you bring food in that's not acceptable, the food police will get you. And let me give you another one. The FDA, we're getting used to the government tell us what to eat. They've been limiting the salt intake for Americans to, quote, protect the public, right? Uh, and what are we now learning? There's people actually dying now from a lack of salt intake uh, because you do need salt. Not so, salt is not all bad for you, okay? But again, what is it? And then they're punishing you, right? If you eat the food that we say you shouldn't eat, then we're going to tax you to death. There's the fat tax, the Twinkie tax, the junk food tax. The so I'm not making it up. It's all on record. Soda tax, chip tax, all that stuff. And, and as one guy, and I'm not making this up. This is freaky. Revelation 6, right? He says, you keep this up, man. What's, he said, quote, what's left to eat? You're going to start feeding us wheat and barley? Stuff just writes itself. But that's right, I'm a red-blooded America. I'm going to eat what I want to eat. And if I want to get overweight, I'm going to get overweight. And no government's going to find me. I'm just going to do my own thing, really. Well, AI right now can spot obesity from space. You ain't got no place to hide. <laughs> you think I'm kidding? Watch this. According to Science Magazine, artificial intelligence can spot obesity from space. Through the use of satellite images, artificial intelligence can estimate a region's level of obesity. By knowing a neighborhood's rate of overweight adults, AI can help target intervention. Wow. On a global basis. Better put that cheeseburger down. AI said, you got enough for today. You've had enough. But folks, put all this together, the step by step. What, we know where it's going. Revelation 6. They're going to be dishing out on a global basis the food supply. In order for that to happen, somebody has to control the food supply. Then you have to have it all micromanaged on a global basis and all that's happening with the help of AI. Then you have to condition the people to make that switch over and develop that mindset where some outside entity, not yourself, not your own individual freedom and individual responsibility, but some outside entity will literally dictate what you can eat and drink in order to roll into that time frame. All of it's here now. That's in the seven-year tribulation. We leave prior. Don't know the day nor the hour. It's been getting close. Now, one more freaky thing, and we'll close after this one. AI, with all this global monitoring, AI, they're saying, will now, and tell me the Antichrist won't use this one, AI will be able to predict who gets to live and who gets to die. Whether or not it thinks you're a valuable species. And if they don't think that you're a valuable species on the planet, they will kill you for the betterment of mankind. Sounds crazy? Here they admit it on tape. Watch this. One of the biggest issues confronting the world today is the impact that we human beings are having on the planet. Human beings are flying the planet, but they're flying blind and flying blind is very dangerous. There's a poem by Philip Larkin where he mourns the current state of the world. And then he says, but at least somewhere there'll be a clean ocean untouched by humanity that will always exist. We are poisoning the last wild environment that we had. We receive a lot of our food from the ocean. It's the basis of the environmental system. 
We need a solution to creating or recreating the clean oceans that we had. Now there's some really interesting experiments that you might run. You could put algae back in the ocean. There are a bunch of things that we could do. No one wants to run these large geoengineering experiments on a real global scale. What you want is to run them in simulations. And AIs might do that in a way that you could at least begin to experiment with. The main problem that we have right now is that we don't understand how these systems work. Like ecosystems are very complex. Everything interacts with everything. And we don't know what the impact is of what we do. But with more sensors and better machine learning to build models based on those sensors, we can actually understand how a whole ecosystem works, how you know, the things that we're you know, putting into the atmosphere change the climate, et cetera, et cetera. And then we can actually do the following thing, which is we can simulate an ecosystem on a computer, and then we can, we can see what are the impacts of doing different things. And then we can do those things that actually, for example, give us the most gain for what we want while minimally impacting the ecosystem. We may also, for example, use it to understand which species really are important, and which species are less important, right? Because at the end of the day, you often have to make hard trade-offs. And sometimes species that look very insignificant turn out to be very important because the whole ecosystem revolves around them. And sometimes species that are very, you know, that we're very fond of because maybe they're, you know, they're cuddly animals uh, that turn out to be less important. So what AI can give us is the ability to actually see a little bit further down the road so that we can actually make better decisions. And what's those decisions? AI won't just be controlling and monitoring the whole food supply, the water supply, but the whole ecosystem on the planet. And then they're going to run these models. And they think it's a great thing. And those AI models that they will obey will tell who gets to live and who gets to die. I hope you're a valuable producer. This is sick. This is twisted. I'll tell you this, it's satanic. Satan is not just a liar, he's the father of all lies, but keep reading John chapter 8. He's a murderer and he's been one from the beginning. That's who's behind all this stuff. So obviously, again, the point for you and I is, eat cow while you got it. Does that make sense now? <laughs> Makes a lot more sense now. Well, no, that's not what it is. What would we do? Hey, what did Jesus say? When these things begin to take place, stand up, lift up your heads because your redemption draws near. I'm firmly convinced all this is going to take place and culminate in the seven-year tribulation, Revelation 6, Revelation chapter 8. We're not going to be here, folks. Praise God as the bride of Christ. So we need to get excited going like, woohoo, another sign that it's getting close. So let's finish strong. Let's, let's be those godly examples. Let's tell as many people as we can about Jesus Christ because that's why we're still here. We're waiting for, uh, as Paul says, the last Gentile to come in. And when that happens, bang, church age, whoo we going at the rapture. It's going to be awesome. So let's leave here faithful. Amen? Okay. And of course, eat cow while you got it. Okay. Uh, but seriously, if you're not saved, what in the world are you waiting for? Why would you put off coming to Jesus and asking him to forgive you of all your sins and he will not just forgive you but he'll rescue from this time frame called the seven-year tribulation. He'll rescue you from a place called hell for all eternity. And he'll give you the exact polar opposite. He'll give you heaven, the millennial kingdom, the new heavens, the new earth, all as a gift. Why would you procrastinate? Why would you hesitate? If that's you, receive Jesus today as your Savior before it's too late. Amen? Thanks for listening and being a part of this week's podcast. Before you go, I'd like to invite you to visit our website, hopeforourtimes.com. 
check out the many resources we have to offer. On our website, we have books, DVDs, and daily news articles that will always keep you up to date on the times we're living in. If you'd like to see the video version of this week's podcast, you can find us at Hope For Our Times on YouTube. God bless, and we'll talk to you next time.